see, am I on? All right. I've remembered my glasses this time, so that's a plus. Get this all geared up. I have to say hi to Mr. Briggs. I, I knew, also knew Mr. Briggs years ago and substitute taught. And, uh, actually, I think I even uh, refed a game with him. He doesn't remember that because he's too old and already forgot, but uh, I do remember that. Uh, anyhow, but my, my dad is a Gideon, and believe it or not, so he's passed out Bibles for I don't know how long in Wichita. Um, one of the last times he was passing out Bibles, my, my dad's in his 80s, he tripped on a curb and broke his hip. So uh, I, I say, always make the comment, if anybody's going to heaven, he is. Uh, he was passing out Bibles and tripped, you know, and fell and broke, so he's got a, a shoe in for heaven is what I say, but uh, it's a great organization, and, and I admire uh, Mr. Briggs for doing that. So I wore my Red Sox jersey today because, well, I, I've umpired 25 years of my life um, in baseball, and this year is the last year that I did it. I got to do some regionals and so on. Uh, I'm still going to do basketball. I gave up football, but as I get older, um, I'm not quite as agile as I think I am. And uh, so I was uh, going to do a little bit of a baseball theme today, and I, I do like the Red Sox, and they're playing the Royals. Those are my two favorite teams, so it's really difficult because they're playing each other. Um, I have three favorite teams. The other favorite team is anybody playing the Yankees? So those are my three favorite teams. Uh, those who are Yankees fans, sorry, but I get, to, I get to be the one speaking up here so I can have my favorite team. So. Um, but this year was really interesting because I was actually asked by my son to help coach my grandson in a game similar to baseball called T-ball. You ever been to a T-ball game? You ever coached T-ball? My son is funny because he decided to help coach because I coached growing up. And he said, you know, I probably I feel like I had at least obligated to coach some. He didn't realize how difficult it was going to be to have kindergartners and first graders. Uh, he just assumed that they knew to run to first base. As we were coaching them, most of them ran to the pitcher's mound after they hit it. Nowhere close. Some of them ran to third base. You never knew what you were getting. It was fun because we went to the games and it was all the parents' voices were, were hoarse because all they're doing is yelling at the kids what to do and this and that. Um, but it was an awful lot of fun because it's, it was neat to see the kids progress through the time. They had no skills. They didn't know what was going on. And they had uh, an exuberant amount of life and wanting to try. Now, some of them, you know, they picked dandelions in the outfield and one time we had a little squabble amongst our own players, but uh, needless to say, uh, it, it did make me think about the youthfulness of the years past. I think about the times I've repped a basketball game, like a third grade game, and the kid makes the basket for the first time. What's he do? He runs down smiling the whole way. You know, and everybody, and he's looking at his parents as he's running down smiling. You know that? And I always start laughing because I, I go, oh, it must have been his first basketball. Maybe a second, but after the third game, he's an, he's an experienced pro. You know, you don't, as you get older, you don't smile every time because you've been there, done that. You know, it's, it, it's already built into your, your, yourself that, hey, this happens all the time. 
So it's quite interesting as, uh, as kids uh, get older, they kind of lose some of that, or as we get older. I remember, as, and, 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 as I'm talking about faith, I remember having my daughter. She would jump off the stairs at our house, and we have a big bunch of stairs, and she'd jump up and I'd catch her. And then she'd go another one, and another one. Pretty soon, you're, you know, you're getting underneath like, oh my gosh, you know. And, and, but she trusted me. She had faith. She had trust and faith in her dad. Isn't that what we should do? Have faith and trust in our Heavenly Father? It's, it's kind of a neat analogy, but um, I'm kind of one of these risk takers. I'm, uh, most people, it's, it's weird, and, and as a minister, people are like, you've done what? Yeah, I've had that happen quite a few times where people say, I can't believe you're a minister and you've done this. Well, I, I started repelling years ago. I've taught hundreds of kids how to repel. There's always a lesson on faith and trust when I teach repelling. My daughter, I was one time out at, there's a, there's a bridge out, out, out by the lake, and I was teaching youth groups, you know, how to repel. We're going over this little bridge, and my daughter, who's in kindergarten, goes, Dad, I want to try it. And I'm thinking, well, is, is, is she too young for this? I mean, if it holds me, it'll definitely, the rope will hold her. Should I let her? She had trust. She had faith. She, she wasn't worried one bit. She said, sure, let's get up there. Which was funny because there were some guys on the football team that didn't do it because they were too scared. And so when you have a kindergartner daughter weighing about 50 pounds, get up and leans out and not a fear in her thing. She said, okay, now what do I do? I said, well, just start letting it through your hands. She went right on down. She goes, Dad, you know what I want to do now? I said, for my birthday, I want to take all the kids in kindergarten to go repelling. Yeah, could you imagine the imagine that situation? I said, well, it's probably not going to happen because there's probably a lot of parents would say no to that, and I'm not going to fill out all the liability forms and all the stuff that would go with that, but it was neat that she had faith and trust in her dad. So as I was putting this sermon together, I started thinking about kids or people in the Bible that showed unusual amounts of trust and faith. And of course, the first one I came across was David and Goliath. I mean, that's a no-brainer. David, you know, had trust and faith. Nobody else stepped forward to, to slew this giant. I don't know if you've ever tried one of those slingshot things like that he did, you know, swinging around. I've tried it. I haven't even got it to go forward yet. So you know that God was on his side if he could hit Goliath in the temple. What I like about it is, is that when I remember when I got baptized and I had faith and all the excitement that I had as a kid, I called it childlike faith. Do you know what childlike faith is? Here's some of the, getting baptized, I was full of emotion. I was excited. I was, it was refreshing. There was no doubt full of spirit, ready to tackle the world with no limits. That's what I want. That's what I want in my Christian walk. It's interesting, though, what happens as we get older? Do we lose those emotions? Does this happen to everybody? Does it just kind of slowly 
you know, go away, all these excitement stuff. As the mundane part of life goes on, as I wake up in the morning and go through the monotony of life, do we lose this excitement? Other day, I heard a guy that, that was called, uh, it, was, it was actually watching a game, and he was called a man of faith. You know, when they describe some, some athlete, and, and he's a, I assume that they're, they're saying he's a Christian guy, but they'll say, he's a man of faith. Huh, so what exactly is that? And I started thinking, well, I, gosh, I want to be a man of faith. I mean, not just a little bit, but a lot. So I started looking at examples in the scriptures. In Matthew 17, 15 through 20, all right, and this is, um, this was the apostles. And it says, Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire, into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed at that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, Why couldn't we drive it, drive it out? He replied, Because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, and they are this big, you could, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Isn't this kind of harsh? If God asked you, I mean, like, you have the ability to cast out demons. I don't know, anybody in here cast a demon out lately? I know when my kids had diarrhea when they were babies, I think I cast a few out then. But that's beside the point. Um, but casting out demons, that's kind of a big deal. And Jesus kind of came down on them and said, what happened? These are apostles. These aren't like, you know, hooligans. And yet they couldn't do it because they didn't even have enough faith. And so it's kind of funny because he puts it on a scale. The mustard, you know, any guys familiar with the mustard seed scale? Apparently not. Okay. So if you have as much as a mustard seed, that is small, yet... Apparently, that was a lot. Evaluate yourself real quick. Rate yourself one to 10. I don't even want to know. 10 being the highest, where are you at on your faith ability? I'm willing to bet most of you would probably say, eh, up in the five, six, you know, other areas. Um, unfortunately, I think as we get older, it seems that our faith decreases because we become logical. You know, now it's like, I, I, as the more and more I live, there's science and logic. And, and what happens is, it, it basically, in my opinion, it feels like we separate from God. Often we put worldly limits on God and ourselves. When non-Christians doubt, we as Christians have a tendency to do the same thing. Our emotions and excitement dwindles as Christians as we get older. That mundane thing, you know, that excitement as a kid, it seems like it changes us, and, and I don't want that to happen in my life. I've said many times, <laughs> I don't want to grow old with somebody. 
I want to grow young with somebody and get older. You know what I mean? You know what I mean a little bit? I guess maybe that's because I was a youth minister, so I got to deal with a lot of kids. Did we not have fun in youth group? Oh, yeah, we had fun. And I taught kids to have fun being a Christian and to have faith in the Lord that he's going to take care of you. And sometimes that ends up getting pushed away, especially as we get older and we got bills to pay and all those other things. Um, I don't want to be a mundane Christian. It's funny because I've always tried to have excitement in my life. If not, I'll make it. How many in here like to go shopping? A few women. A few women, exactly. Okay, as a youth minister, I used to do stuff with the, with the guys in my youth group all the time. You know, we'd go play sports and do these things. Well, I had a group of gals that they go, Alan, you never do anything with us. I'm like, all right, what do you want to do? I do. I'll go to a group of you. We'll go do something. I want to go shopping. You want to do what? I want to go shopping? I don't want to do that. But I said I would go do it so, with them. So I actually went shopping with them. It wasn't that bad, you know, and they, they wanted advice and this and that and so on. So I went shopping. But I've tried to make shopping more fun through the years. There was one time when my kids were kind of young and the old Food for Less was open. Now it's whatever, you know, down here over. And the Food for Less was open. And so we go into Food for Less and my kids are pretty young and they were in the cart and I start pushing them in the cart. And I'm thinking, I wonder how fast I could push this cart down one of these aisles. Not a pretty, usually if people leave me unsupervised, it's not a good thing. But my wife was there, so I was somewhat supervised. So I get the kids in the thing, and there's actually another gal comes in, and it was, it was dead. It was like 9.30 at night. They closed at 10. And I'm like, maybe we should race them. Maybe we could race them this thing. And then my wife's like, oh, Alan, you know. But anyhow, that gal kind of kept shopping, and I started at one end of the aisle, and I ran as fast as I could down the aisle. I mean, and I kind of checked the, the cart because you get those ones that veer left and veer right and they kind of breaks and, you know, they, everything's bad on them. But I made sure it was a good cart. And I went as fast as I could down that cart. And I was up to a full speed run. That wasn't the hard part. The hard part was stopping it. And so I am literally digging my heels in, sliding to get this thing stopped. And so my wife's like, oh, God, I can't take you anywhere. We go around and come back, and we're getting ready to check out. Or, no, so the head minister's daughter worked there at that time, and they had an assistant manager. It was a young guy. And they came over, and we were in the produce aisle, and they started laughing and talking and saw me make, carrying on. And pretty soon, there's the, those big carts of balls that are there. He grabs the football and tells me to go long in the produce aisle. And I play catch in the produce aisle with the assistant manager for about five minutes. As we went and checked out, it's funny because they said, can you come back tomorrow? This is the best clothes ever. <laughs> you see, sometimes you got to have fun in life. I, and I know this was kind of a side tangent, but we get caught up in mundanity. And our faith basically follows that line. And I, and I don't want that to happen. I looked up another verse. So, so here's another one, John 20, 24, and 29. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, was one of the 12. He was not with the disciples when Jesus came, so the other disciples told them, we have seen the Lord. Now you need to understand this. This is after he's already been on the cross, died and rose and came back. A lot of us would probably be like, yeah, right. 
I mean, we, we can't just go and say, and they said, hey, we've we seen Jesus. I'm like, okay, good one, but didn't, we, didn't he die on the cross and all that? But this is when he came back and hung out with the, the disciples for a little while. But he said to them, unless I see the nails marked in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and shook uh, or, and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here. See my, see my hands? Reach out your hands and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Isn't it interesting how when we see something, it's so much more easy to believe than, than not. Us as Christians, we've never seen Jesus. We just have the Bible to follow. And so sometimes it can make, us a, make it a little bit more difficult for us. You know, I haven't seen George Washington. Anybody here? Uh, Briggs, have you seen George Washington? You're the oldest one. No? Okay. Um, George Washington, haven't seen him, and yet we know in books that he was the founding father of our country. We have no problem believing that, but believing that Jesus died and rose again, we might have problems because we didn't see it. And then we start getting into the logic thing. Well, that just doesn't sound very logical. You got to understand, God is not all about logic. I mean, God's perspective is a whole lot different than ours in faith. And we've got to get there. Yeah, it's funny because I think lots of kids have that faith, but as we get older, we, as I say, we lose it. How do we respond to these situations? I always think that, you know, I'm, I have a lot of faith. And I don't know if you ever knew who the, the, the Walendas were. Have you heard of the Walendas? The Flying Walendas? Yeah, okay, the Flying Walendas. They, they did like tight walk, rope walking and, and flying from trapezes and all kinds of stuff. And one of them had walked across the Niagara Falls on a rope. And I'm thinking, that's pretty impressive. And he starts talking to the people in the audience after he did it. He says, do you guys think I can do this again? And they said, yes, yes. I have, we have faith that you've already done it once. He says, do you think I could do it with a wheelbarrow? Well, yeah, probably. I could see that happening. Yeah, I mean, you're pretty good. He says, how many of you have enough faith and trust to get in the wheelbarrow as I do it? You see, faith and trust is tested all the time. And many of us, what, what do we do? We want to go away from that faith. We want to go away from those situations. It's almost like we hide from those things. And, and that's not good either. I mean, how can God... I mean, I love a, a situation where somebody succeeds in a faithful situation like that. And they inspire me. Last but not least, I have Matthew 6, 25 through 34. What do you think a lot of people do? Yeah, let, let's read it. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. What will you eat or drink or about your body? What will you wear? It is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the, gra- clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first, I love this verse, I learned it when I was in high school, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. How many of you guys are worriers? My mom is a worrier. Yeah, I don't, I don't think this is a gender thing, but my mom can worry with the best of them. I will put her against any of you in here. And she's usually like, well, what if this would have happened? Three or four years ago, four years ago, I had a heart attack, and, I, and right before that, I was backpacking up in the mountains. Mom goes, oh my God, what if you, that would have happened to you when you were up there? It wouldn't have been good for me, would it, Mom? Probably wouldn't be here. But it didn't. It didn't, because guess what? God took care of me. And if it did, life goes on. I mean, well, not for me, it wouldn't have gone on, but for, 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 for everybody else, I get to go see Jesus a little bit earlier. I'm okay with that, too. Um, so there are a lot of people wor- worry, and, I, and I'm going to... I'm going to say this because I think a lot of people that worry have little faith in God and put more faith in themselves. And if you quit worrying and just say, God's got this, and have trust that he's got this, it's a lot easier. I think sometimes, too, when we get in the worry situation, we stop doing things. Um, I would rather live a life full of risk and chances with the ability to inspire somebody else, then play it safe and not do anything. I'm going to say that again. I would rather live a life full of risks and chances with the ability to inspire somebody than to play it safe and not do anything. I'm going to give you a quick example, and I'm getting close to it. Um, once again, I said I've taught many people how to repel. It's pretty fun to to see people at, that are scared of heights and at their wit's end. I one time was at church camp and a, one of the mothers wanted to uh, repel. I heard more cuss words than I've ever heard in my life when she went over the edge. And she had to apologize to everybody because of what she said. <laughs> I was like, no, just go on, you know, like, you know, oh, I feel so bad, you know. And da, da, da. I had a gal that was overweight and one of our challenges was, at, at camp th- this year was for them to all repel. And, well, and we were at a bridge down in Ark City. And so um, this gal was too heavy. She was overweight and scared of heights. And she came up to me and she was about, her and her leader, who was a good friend of mine, played college basketball with them. He wasn't going to do it either. He said, if you get her to do it, I'll do it. She said, I want to do it. I said, okay, well, it'll work. I said, we, we can make it happen. You've seen 10 kids already go by. But I'm scared. I said, that's all right, I'll work with you. And so we get the harness on her. She gets up over the edge, and she starts leaning out, and she's shaking and fretting. And I said, and I could tell that she had no, just, 
inside of herself, no confidence. And I looked at her and I said, you can do this. I said, God will give you the, you know, the ability and the trust and the faith and all the stuff that you need so you can get down. And sure enough, she slowly went down. I looked down at Kurt and I said, you're next. And he came up there. And of course, as a good friend of mine, I'm a little rougher on him. And as he gets over the edge, and he is scared to death. I already knew he was scared to death heights because I snow skied with him before and we were in a lift and I start rocking it and he starts panicking. And so he gets over the edge, and I thought, oh, my gosh, this rope is starting to fray here a little bit. Oh, well, it'll be all right, you know, and roundabout way he ended up doing it. But I'll never forget because that girl, the following year when I was at church camp, she was back, and she came up to me, and she was much more outgoing, much more. She says, do you remember me? I said, I sure do. She says, you taught me how to repel, and I never forgot that day because it gave me confidence to do the things that I've always wanted to do. If I can do that, I can do a lot of things. I said, you're right. You've got God in your heart. He'll help you through those situations. I realized that when I was doing my little study that um, I was trying to figure out somebody that was going to really help me understand what faith is all about and how far, you know, faith needs to happen. Um, I want childlike faith. I want to have that exuberance and excitement that I had when I was a kid. I know that I'm responsible for my Christian walk, and I need to do what it takes to stay positive in a non-positive world. Continually seeking God, making it fresh and anew each day. Seeing God's love in, in the people and the nature around me. I want to have a life full of faith and conviction that has never moved. I honestly would mind as my kids are here, if I passed away, I would like to have on, on my, stone, my tombstone a man full of faith and conviction. You see, when I did this sermon, I usually do a sermon for somebody else. This sermon was for me. This sermon was for me, and I'm just letting you guys hear it. But it made me think about my life. And as I get older, and I don't want to have, I want to have childlike faith. Not that old mundane faith that we just kind of take for granted as we get older. I'm going to end with one little story. This is about perfect. Um, My daughter gave this to me. Um, It's got a baseball theme. It's funny because we do a Bible study every morning, and I. She always gets up on the days that I have to go to work, and she says, "Oh, Dad, you know, are you going to work today?" I said, "Yeah." So we got to do our devotion, and I said, "Okay, fair enough." And so I've given her a few stories and motivational things at a time, but this is one she gave me, and I really liked it because um, it's got a baseball theme. In Nashville, Tennessee, it's called Don't Widen the Plate. In Nashville, Tennessee, during the first week of January 1996, more than 4,000 baseball coaches descend upon the Opera Land Hotel for the 52nd annual ABCA convention, which is American Baseball Conference Association. While I waited in line to register with hotel staff, I heard other more veteran coaches rumbling about the lineup of speakers scheduled to present during this, the weekend. One name in particular kept resurfacing, always with the same sentiment. John Skolinis is here. Oh, man, worth every penny of my airfare. Who the hell is John Skolinis? I wondered. No matter, I was just happy to be there. 
1996, John Scholarness was 78 years old and five years retired from college coaching career that began in 1948. He shuffled to the stage to an impressive standing ovation, wearing dark polyester pants, a light blue shirt, and a string around his neck from which home plate hung, a full-size, stark white home plate. So he had a home plate. Seriously, I wondered, who the hell is this guy? After speaking for 25 minutes, not once mentioning the prop hanging around his neck, Coach Scalonis appeared to, appeared to notice the snickering among some of the coaches. Even those who knew Coach Scalonis had to wonder exactly where he was going with this. Or if he had a simple forgotten about the plate since he had gotten on stage. Then finally, you're probably all wondering why I'm wearing a home plate around my neck. You think, or maybe you think, I escaped from Carmelo State Hospital. He said, his voice growled inscribable. I laughed along with the others, acknowledging the possibilities. No, he continued, I may be old, but I'm not crazy. The reason I stand before you today to share with you, baseball people, what I've learned in my life, what I've learned about home plate in 78 years. Several, hundred, several hands went up when Scolius, Scolius asked how many little league coaches were in the room. Do you know how wide home plate is in little league? After a pause, someone offered 17 inches. More question than answer. That's right, he said. About, how about in Babe Ruth? Any Babe Ruth coaches in the house? Another long pause. 17 inches. Came a guess from another reluctant coach. That's right, said Stoliosis. Now, how many high school coaches do we have in the room? Hundreds of hands raised up. As the pattern began to appear, how wide is home plate in high school baseball? 17 inches, they sounded more confident. I'm curious how many of you guys knew it was 17 inches. You're right, he barked. And you college coaches, how wide is home plate in college? 17 inches, we said in unison. Any minor league coaches here, how wide is home plate in pro ball? 17 inches, right. And major leagues, how wide is home plate in major league? 17 inches. 17 inches, he confirmed. His voice bellowed off the walls. And what do they do with a big league pitcher who can't throw the ball over 17 inches? Pause. They send him to the middle institution, he hollered. Drawing, drawing a bunch of laughter. What they don't do is this. They don't say, ah, that's okay, Jimmy. You can't hit 17 inches target. We'll make it 18 inches or 19 inches. We'll make it 20 inches so you have a better chance of hitting it. If you can hit that, let us know, and we can make it wider still to 25 inches. Pause. Coaches, Pause. What do we do when our best player shows up late to practice? When our team rules forbid facial hair and a guy shows up unshaven? What if he gets caught drinking? Do we hold him accountable or do we change the rules to fit him? Do we widen home plate? The chuckles gradually faded as 4,000 coaches grew quiet. The fog lifted as the old coach's message began to unfold. He turned the plate toward himself. Using a sharpie, began to draw something. When he turned it toward the crowd, pointed up, a house was revealed, complete with a freshly drawn door on the plate. 
and two windows. This is a problem in our homes today with our marriages, with the way we parent our kids, with our dis discipline. We don't teach accountability to our kids and there are no consequences for falling to meet standards. We widen the plate. Pause. Then to the point at the top of the house, he had a small American flag. This is a problem in our schools today. The quality of our education is going downhill fast. And teachers have been stripped of the tools they need to be successful and to educate and discipline our young people. We are following others to widen home plate. Where is this getting us? Silence. He replaced the flag with a cross. And the problem in the church where powerful people in positions of authority have taken advantage of young children only to have an atrocity swept underneath the rug for years. Our church, our church leaders are widening home plate. I was amazed as a, at a baseball convention where I expected to learn something about curveballs and bunting and how to run better practices. I learned something far more valuable from an old man with home plate strung around his neck. I had learned something about life, about myself and about my own weaknesses and about my responsibilities as a leader. I hold to myself others accountable to which I knew to be right, least our families, our faith, our society continues down an undesirable path. If I am lucky, Coach Salonius concluded, you will remember one thing from this old coach today. It is this. If, you, if we fail to hold ourselves to a higher standard, a standard of what we know to be right, if we fail to hold our spouses and our children to the same standards, if we're unwilling or unable to provide a consequence when they do not meet the standards, and if our schools and churches and our government fail to hold themselves accountable to those they serve, there is but one thing to look forward to. With that, he held the home plate in front of his chest, turned it around, and revealed, and revealed its dark black backside. Dark days ahead. Coach Scoliosis died in 2009 at the age of 91, but not before touching the lives of hundreds of players and coaches, including mine. Meeting him at my first ABCA convention kept me returning year after year, looking for similar wisdom and inspiration from coaches as the best clinician ABC has ever known because he was so much more than a baseball coach. No matter what, we need to hold the home plate to 17 inches. And as we relate that to our life as a Christian, I think that's what I'm getting at is my standard and my faith has always got to be strong as a child and continually growing and, and not wavering in a world that wavers all the time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day and all you've given us, Lord. I thank you for their inspiration of people in the Bible that, that showed miraculous faith. I pray that we have childlike faith and that it never leaves us, Father, that each and every day we're excited to be Christians and not afraid to uh, share the gospel with others around us, Father. I thank you so much for our faith being tested and that we need to be tested now then to see where we're at, Lord. Uh, I pray that uh, we continue to watch over us, gives us strength and guidance in them times and needs. I pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks, Alan. You're welcome. Um, Alan is, uh, he's good at a lot of things. And uh, he, wait, wait a minute, you, come back up here. Uh, he's good at a lot of things and, and he, uh, he can beat me at the basketball court. But my wife pointed something out. 
a minute ago. Oh, yeah, he, he I, have much, I have- I have much better calves. Yeah, they're not even close, his calves, but your calves are like impressive for everybody. Thank you. And you can, you used to be able to jump straight up in the air and dunk. I could never do I could. that. I never could do I that. Could. Straight up, two hands. So, okay, so. Thanks. <laughs> hey, uh, big thank you to everybody who brought stuff out to the sale yesterday at Jimmy's Egg. Uh, and a thank you to Jimmy's Egg. If you happen to go in there, tell them thanks. Um, I don't have an official count yet, but I know uh, over $500 was um, raised yesterday by that. So, way to go.